every leader of a growing business has experienced a restless night. A night where a new opportunity or daunting challenge got in the way of a decent night's sleep. When I'm up at night, I think about how to maintain culture. Where the company is headed. Like, what is the business challenge, you know, three steps ahead. That keeps me up. I worry that we won't grow fast enough. Making sure that people are feeling like they belong. I had somebody resign today. I have one meeting about billing, which I am looking forward to, actually. I find it fascinating. (laughs) From WeWork and Gimlet Creative, this is Up at Night. I'm John Henry, and I know a bit about sleepless nights. I'm an entrepreneur and a partner at Harlem Capital, a venture capital firm helping companies grow past the startup stage. Now, Up at Night is not your average business podcast. I'll be talking to successful people, mostly leaders of mid-sized companies, about how their companies have grown and found success. But you won't hear any boardroom pitches here, because I'm calling them at night when they're off the clock to hear what's really been keeping them up. Tonight, I'm talking to Nick Stone, founder and CEO of Bluestone Lane. And one of the things that keeps him up at night is this question. How do you take an idea that's close to your heart and scale it way up, keeping your investors happy and not losing the thing that made it special in the first place? Is Bluestone in Philly feel and is it operate like it does in San Francisco and in San Francisco, you know, versus New York and are people getting the same type of experience that we want to provide? Bluestone Lane is an Australian style premium coffee and cafe brand. They have 650 employees and have raised over $45 million in investment. Bluestone's currently got 45 locations across the U.S., including one at WeWork Now in New York City's Flatiron District. And Nick plans to have eight more locations by the end of the year. Nick spends most of his time at his family home in Santa Monica, California, but he's often in New York for business, which is where I reached him one evening as he was winding down his day. It's uh, 20 past eight on a Tuesday night. Uh, I don't know the exact date, actually. So where are you right now? What's going on? Um, Paint a picture for us. I'm in New York City in our apartment in West Village. It's currently basically unfurnished. There's no food. There's about (laughs) 10 sparkling waters. There's probably 10 Bluestone Lane ready-to-drink coffee skews, which we just (laughs) launched uh, last week. Nick hasn't always been obsessed with the coffee biz. His calling to the world of coffee and hospitality came when he moved to the U.S. in 2010. And he and his wife, Alexandra, realized how much they missed the cozy, upscale cafes they used to go to back home in Melbourne. The coffee culture in Australia um, is very, very curated and independent. It's driven by these small, boutique, premium, independent establishments where it's not just about providing caffeine. It's really about facilitating this human-to-human contact where you walk in and you feel like a local, not a customer. When Nick opened the first Bluestone Lane in New York City in 2013, he wanted to recreate that intangible good feeling he missed from home. It was really 
solving a necessity I had. And even from the first store, that was a tiny hole in the wall with no outdoor signage. You'd have literally no idea it existed. It was under a escalator in a subterranean basement. <laughs> but it was driven through word of mouth because we focused on these core elements that are, that I missed, which was really this this orientation around being a local, not a customer and knowing our local's name, face and order and taking it seriously when someone comes down and makes the journey that they want a great coffee or tea or yeah. avocado toast. I never worked a day in hospitality, so this is my first hospitality job. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a big learning curve, yeah. I'm curious, like, what are, what are some of the things that keep you up now versus, like, in those days when you were, like, a hole in the wall with no signage? At certain scale, you know, you obviously get worried that are you executing in a way that is not as curated or personalized as it was? We've had experiences where certain geographic areas have felt that they weren't really part of the team, that they were sort of a side project. And you know, I worry about that a lot. For Nick, it's all about making sure people from coast to coast are getting the real Bluestone experience, feeling like a local, not a customer. So Bluestone's main product isn't really coffee, it's something much bigger and harder to measure. We serve 12,500 people and like the real purpose of Bluestone is to make people feel good, feel happy. So how do you balance that pressure to scale quickly while maintaining that consistent feel and culture? I think like nothing can replace you being really present and spending a lot of time with you your teammates and then visiting locations and listening to their concerns and coaching them about all the wonderful things they're doing and how they're making a difference. And you have to be prescriptive about certain things because you do want it to be uniform, but you know, you need to provide autonomy so that people feel like they are making a difference, that they have an opportunity to grow and learn and prosper. And a couple of sayings that, that are banded around the organization. The first one is like a, have a no dickhead policy. So have a, what was that? What was that? I didn't catch it. <laughs> have a no dickhead policy. <laughs> like no one, no one really wants to be part of a team where someone is obnoxious or arrogant or insensitive or sort of elitist or treats others like subordinates. I don't want to work with someone like that. And I'd, I'd rather take someone who's dependable and, and committed and tries their best over someone who's got a you know, technical superiority. Yeah. Everything we want to do from our supply chain, the way we treat our locals to our team, we want it to be fair and, and we want to have a lot of integrity around that. So pretty soon you'll be overseeing 60 plus stores. How are you going to make sure that staff at each store is really signed on to those values. No one has the perfect playbook on how to pull this off. And we probably never will because it's so reliant mm. on humans and humans aren't robots. And my role is to coach them and improve them as much as I can and make them feel like they, they have a great home and they have career opportunities with us, whether it's for one year or whether it's for 10 years. I drove past a Dunkin' Donuts and I was like, damn, 
there are thousands and thousands of locations like across the world that all open. I was just amazed that someone can create something, have a centralized operation somewhere, and like every location opens in the morning when they say they're gonna open. That's the thing, like when you ask a lot of retailers about their biggest fear, their biggest fear is always that the, the team or the staff don't go to work to open the store, right? <laughs> I, I'm told that by every retailer I meet. They say, yeah, my biggest fear is I wake up tomorrow and the store doesn't open because no one showed up to work and without opening the doors, nothing will sell and you can't ser you know, serve anyone. Right, right. So you know, that's obviously a fear, but some things that I try and drive through the culture of the organization is that the corporate team, their whole role is to enable the field to be their best and enable them to create these incredible connections with their locals. So what has focusing on those local connections and building community, what has that done for the big picture goals? How do you measure success? I definitely feel like I got that a little bit wrong earlier in the year or late last year that, that, that I was looking at success as, as a big exit and even just the milestones were probably unrealistic. A, a startup, a great exit just from a superficial level used to be like $5 million or $10 million or $20 million hmm. or 50. And now right. if it's not like a, a billion dollars, it's a failure. And I think I was starting to absorb a lot of that pressure or you just got to think less about whether it's going to be this great perceived success, but rather than just be comfortable with what you view as success. Mm. Mm. That's really insightful. I guess sometimes you got to stop and smell the coffee, huh? <laughs> yeah. Like I, I had dinner, <laughs> I had dinner on Sunday night with two of my friends who are both entrepreneurs and we were just talking about like how hard, how hard it is. It's just unrelenting. And there's so many times where you're lonely and you feel isolated and there's a lot of times where you feel like you're you're out of control i i use this analogy um frequently that it's like an f1 car like you have to be borderline out of control to sort of win and <laughs> succeed but you can't obviously crash <laughs> right but if you're not going like terrifyingly fast you're not going to win or at least that's the perception yeah, and I think especially if you get into the rhythm of raising capital from people that you, there is pressure to deploy it quickly and then to create value. And when you start deploying it quickly, you obviously make a lot of sort of capital investment uh, that suddenly means that you, you do need to grow very quickly to be able to amortize that down. You know, not too many investors sort of just make an investment and just happy for you to sit around for five years or 10 years. When you accepted that VC money, Nick, you essentially inherited and adopted all of the stress of those expectations. I think the first pressure I have is pressure not to let my mates down, my teammates. We employ, say, 700 teammates, but and I'd imagine more than 50% live paycheck to paycheck or um, you know have limited savings because they're young so working at Bluestone is like really really important for their financial stability and quality of life I'm 37 I've had three careers already with some reasonable 
bit of success. You know, I was a professional sportsman for six years. Um, then I was in sort of corporate finance, investment banking for 11 years in a couple of different countries. And now I've had Bluestone. I've been full-time CEO at Bluestone for three years. And I do have like an, a, an unabating thirst for trying new things and learning. And yeah, I think I'm pretty like reasonably impatient and I don't, I've never saw myself as just opening a couple of coffee shops and and making a difference in a much smaller way. I'm just not that type of person. By this point, it was getting late. Nick had a car arriving at 6.30 the next morning to take him to the airport for a trip to Boston. But before we hung up, there were just a couple more things I wanted to know. Do you have like personal tips for for helping you get through a restless night? Well, the first thing is plan to get up and do exercise in the morning. The second one is to read a book. Don't don't look at your phone. My third tip is to speak to your partner, wake him up and talk about it. Has there been like a, a like a 3 a.m. where you've like woken her up and, and told her like you can't sleep? Oh yeah, absolutely. Like sometimes I just I, I wait. I just say I can't sleep. I can't let this go. I'm so worried that this is going to go wrong. I'm so worried that I made the wrong decision. And you know that that that's part of it. That's part of the the journey. And sometimes I throw out different like hypotheses to her and see what she bites at, and it gives me more direction. Yeah, I love that. So, what are you going to do? right now so the first thing i'm gonna do is actually get out my computer (laughs) grab a beer (laughs) i feel sometimes that knocking off my emails actually does relieve some anxiety when i'm in new york i think that there's probably a lot of valid arguments not to do emailing at night you know for me sometimes getting through it and just making sure that everything's under control so i can start the next day clear is is very valuable one thing i know i'll be doing is tomorrow in the morning when i head to my coffee shop i'll be tipping a little extra so thanks for the nudge <laughs> um, and good night to you yeah thank you very much thanks thanks for having me on that was nick stone founder and CEO of Bluestone Lane. So how do you scale a product when that product is also a feeling? Nick emphasized staying focused on integrity and simply being there, visiting stores, getting to know the team, and never losing sight of the fundamentals, like how each cafe looks and feels. Talking with Nick reminded me that founders and CEOs still worry about micro challenges at every stage of growth. Will the store open? Is the menu just right? Will the baristas remember their regulars' names? It's not just about the company's footprint, but its values too. And with a brand that's built on a heartfelt, curated experience like Bluestone Lane, you have to keep sweating the small stuff. Next week, Vivek Sharma, CEO and co-founder of Movable Inc. 
He tells me about the surprising traits that all of his best employees share. Essentially, I looked around and looked at the superstars, the people who seem to be doing really well at Move Blank over the years, and three, three qualities really seem to emerge repeatedly. Up at Night is brought to you by WeWork and Gimlet Creative. You can find us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes are out each Thursday. If you like what you heard, please leave us a review and share the show with your colleagues. You can tweet me at at John Henry Style. And over at WeWork's blog, we.co slash up at night, you can find more advice and useful tips for growing your business. Check it out. This episode of Up At Night was produced by Amy Standin, Emily Shaw, and Carrie Ann Thomas. Our executive producer is Nicole Wong. Our editor is Sarah Geis. Mixed and sound designed by Molly Bolton. Zach Schmidt is our technical director. Our theme is by Marcus Thorne Begala. Additional music from Marmoset and Billy Libby. Fact-checking by Soraya Shockley. I'm John Henry. Thanks for listening. And hey, wherever you are, try to get a good night's sleep tonight.